it is time to walk, is it not? The wait is over. Some of us have been waiting for a long time. But are you really ready for it to be over? Sometimes we get comfortable with the waiting, do we not? We're a little afraid of what could come next. So many of us have been waiting for something new to happen, not just in our church life, but in our personal life. Some of us have been waiting for some new direction. We've been waiting with anxiety, waiting for a new senior pastor, maybe even waiting for a new job. We've been waiting with God and waiting to find happiness in our lives. Wondering if God really did promise us this season of blessing that we have been praying about. Sometimes when we mess up, it doesn't feel like a blessing. It feels like a curse. But we are ready to be a new people, to be the people of God. Will you pray with me? Loving God, it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And God, we have been waiting. And we are thankful that you have been with us as we have waited. And so walk with us now, God, as we move into this next season of blessing, ready to receive all that you would have us to receive in this hour, in this season, for our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People of God, the words that the gospel ensemble wonderfully led us in singing are words that many of us have sung once, maybe twice, Maybe three or four times over the course of our lives, but I dare say that we will sing them quite a few more times before our lives are over. You see, life has this way of making room for patience. And whether you describe yourself as a person of faith or a person of goodwill, there's no way of escaping those times where you have to wait. Even when you set an appointment to see your doctor, you have to wait. Even when you make a dinner reservation, you still have to wait. Even in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we still have to wait for equality for all people. Even with a loving partner and a great family and a great job and a great church, some of us still have to wait for inner peace and happiness. Even when you are considered a patriarch in heaven, given a promise from God, even when you reside in the land that is supposed to be one of milk and honey, the droughts still do come, and you wait for the blessings to bear fruits. The story of Abraham, or Abram, as he is in Genesis 12. He's this blessed patriarch who is admired in Christianity and Islam and Judaism. He receives this promise from God that he will be so blessed in a new land, and it will be such a blessing that essentially... A new people will be created. Oh, how would you like to be the start of a new people? Oh, it's a tall order. I bet many of us might sign up. You might raise your hand, but you may want to think twice. You see, Abraham is chosen, but he travels to the land that God directs him to, and he soon finds out that just maybe this land isn't all that it's cracked up to be. He may have been sold a bill of goods, if we say. You see, this land that God gave him, there are already other people living on this land. Have you ever showed up to some land or an apartment that you thought was yours <laughs> and found out there were still people living there? Maybe that's my story. 
Have you ever felt like you were sold a bill of goods? Maybe you bought a flashy new car and then you drove it off the lot and all of a sudden you had all sorts of problems and it turned out to be a lemon. I hear that amen. You ever entered into a relationship and then moved in with someone only to find out that they weren't the same person that you dated at the very beginning? All right, your knight in shining armor was supposed to be bringing home the bacon. Instead, they just turned into Satan. Have you, after you've been scammed, I know I'm not the only one who's been scammed in this church, I know this. Have you, after you've been scammed and you found a wonderful new place to move into, and then after moving into this wonderful new place, you find that people don't live there, hallelujah. But then you realize that people don't live there because nests of cockroaches do. Oh, city roaches, I tell you, you think I look good in a black clergy robe? Imagine me with a can of Raid and a can of uh, boric acid in both hands. Have you ever been sold a bill of goods? The text says that after a drought comes to the land that God promised him, Abram thinks that he's been sold this bill of goods and he hightails it out of this land, just leaves it, goes straight to Egypt. Now, maybe Abram got tired of waiting. Maybe Abram started to become a bit jaded like we all do, and he became fed up with God. But he begins to act in a somewhat compromising manner. I hope you would agree. He tells his wife, Sarai, to misrepresent herself and lie to the Egyptians about her marriage to him. And why? Because Abram fears that his 65-year-old wife is just too hot for the Egyptians to withstand. Sister, I'm looking forward to being a 65-year-old wife that no one can withstand, okay? <laughs> but for Abram, his mind gets going, and he says they will do anything, even kill him, just to marry her. The story goes that Sarai does indeed carry out Abram's desired lies, and the result is sort of a blessing. Abram finds favor in Pharaoh's eyes. And so he gets money and animals and all this wealth. And after that, some sort of plague comes upon Pharaoh and his household. And he soon finds out that Sarai is not Abram's sister, but is in fact his wife. Now, this Egyptian, this foreigner, he is of course appalled that Abram and Sarai would lie to him and cause so much hell in his life. And he's so upset that he sends Abram and Sarai out of Egypt. But notice he doesn't take away their wealth. He allows them to keep it, and Abram moves on. Now, I ask you, what are we to make of the ethical lapses in this story? If we were able to choose just one character from this story and fill the world with people who would follow in this person's footsteps, if we were to clone this one person and fill the world with people who would follow in this person's footsteps, who would we clone? Do we look to Abram? The parents of our religious ancestors, will he be a suitable role model? One who essentially prostitutes his own wife for material gain? Do we look to Pharaoh as a role model? Even with his many wives, he seems to have some ethics well, when it comes to honesty and messing around with other people's wives. Or maybe it's Sarai. Maybe she's the ethical one. Even though she abides by her husband's deceitful wishes, did she even have a choice in the whole matter? Who would you choose? Maybe 
You don't have to choose. Maybe we don't have to find the most moral one in this story because a lesson in morality or situational ethics is not the point of this story. You see, whether we choose any of these individuals, it doesn't really matter because the truth is God can work wonders through them all. What I find most striking in this story of Abram is how quickly he moves from receiving this promise of a new creation of a hopeful people and goes to this creation of a fearful and a fabricated humanity. You see, because he has had to wait for the fulfillment of the promise that God gave him for just so long, he begins to lose trust in this promise. He begins to lose his very trust in God. And let me tell you, if Abram can't trust God, then why should Abram trust anyone? What he loses in trust, he gains in fear. Abram begins to attribute the worst possible motives to everyone around him, especially Pharaoh and those foreigners, those Egyptians. He is so scared of going into foreign land, he begins to create this sort of false reality of all those he calls others. Now, instead of co-creating with God like he is supposed to, co-create with God a trustworthy people and an environment, Abraham creates false identities of people in his own mind. He begins to say to himself, those evil Egyptians, that good-for-nothing Pharaoh, he's against me, I tell you, they're all against me, they'll kill me. He doesn't even know me, but I just know he will kill me. I just know he will. How many times does our mind go off in directions like Abram's? Sarai, do we have to lie? Yes, we have to lie. It's the only way to survive because they hate me. They hate you. They hate us. They're going to try to kill us. Does this sound familiar to anyone? You see, fear plays tricks with the mind. It plays tricks because remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. What begins with, for example... One roach in my apartment ends up being with every roach in Houston, Texas, out to get me. <laughs> so first, I can carry a can of Raid with me to the toilet and spray as I will. And then I cook with a can of Raid in my hand. Then I watch TV with a can of Raid right next to me. And then I go to bed and put the can of Raid on the uh, uh, bedtime desk right next to my bed. And then when I get up in the morning and come to work, I take the can with me because I figure these roaches can travel. They might be in my car. And then when I get to my office, I bring the can of Raid in the office with me because these roaches, they love warm places, and my office is pretty warm. And not only that, during a worship service, these roaches could be anywhere. So I put the can of Raid right behind this brick wall just in case they come out. What I think I'm doing for survival is nothing more than a downward spiral. I may do it with roaches, but how many times do we do it with so many other instances regarding fear, mistrust of our loved ones, friends, false evidence appearing real. People of God, fear plays tricks with our mind. When you see a dangerous situation, when you sense danger, when something difficult comes upon your life, maybe it's something that's so traumatic you just can't stand it. Maybe it's just something new. A simple new experience will do it to you. When you feel as though the walls are collapsing around you and you can't even trust the divine within you, fear wants to take hold as just a thought at first. But as Robert Holden says, 
a thought appears in your head, giving you one option. But there are still a plethora of other options. But what starts as one thought then begins to go into several fearful thoughts. And then you begin to focus on one or two of them. And then they multiply. And then more appear. And you begin to have this fear just take hold of your very being. And the fear takes on a life of its own. All of a sudden, fearful thoughts begin racing in your head, running up one-way streets, getting lost in mental cul-de-sacs, hitting a wall and being beaten sentenced in dead-end alleys. Your mind is out to get you, and you're no longer in a safe place wherever you are. Your very reality is gone, and it appears as though you have no choice but to judge, but to not trust others, but to create this false reality of not only everyone else, but also yourself. You have no idea who you are or who anyone else truly is. The who said it. Sing it, Kristen. You sang it the first service. You can sing it now. Who are, who, 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 who are you? When it's spontaneous, she'll jump in. When you call on her, she won't do it. <laughs> But fear takes hold, just like it did just now with Reverend Kristen. <laughs> and our minds start racing. And just like Abram judges Pharaoh, we begin to judge all those around us, especially the other. And I'm not just talking about the other as in an immigrant, the other as in a certain gender, the other as in that person with that strange wardrobe or with tattoos, not just that person of a different race or sexual orientation. Not just that, but I'm also talking about ex-lovers. I'm talking about family members, partners, those individuals who have done us wrong and who we have judged, we think, correctly for good reason. But now, we never allow them to prove themselves otherwise. And so we demonize them. We call them things like Satan and you devil woman, you. We do the same thing for our family members. But we not only demonize them, but we see the worst of them everywhere we go. Every person we meet, we begin to fear. There are certain triggers that we have, and it just jumps up on us. And we begin to fear so much, it almost kills us. And you say, well, I don't know, Reverend Michael. That's how I survived over all these years, by not trusting anyone by creating these fearful realities just for my survival, these images of others, it's gotten me this far, and I have survived. Well, people of God, you may have survived, but the question is, are you truly and fully alive? You may be like Abram, who gained plenty of wealth when he came out of Egypt. Yes, he did survive, but at what cost? The cost of causing plagues to rain down on innocent Egyptians? The cost of his wife Sarai being treated as nothing more than a sexual object for material gain. The cost of delaying the fulfillment of the creation of something good, something co-created with God. Something hopeful and wonderful that is supposed to be a blessing to all. And you risk it all just so you can survive. God doesn't want us just to survive. God created us to be and wants us to be fully alive. You see, that's the promise God gave Abraham, and that's the promise we have. If we are truly and fully alive, that we can be blessed, and not just blessed, but we can be a blessing to others. 
very soon a candidate for senior pastor is going to be with us. They're going to be meeting with us, asking us various questions, and we're going to be asking them questions, and he's going to be answering questions. Now, we've been waiting a good while for candidates, a good while, just long enough to be impatient, just long enough to possibly create fears in our minds about who this person is, how this person will lead, how this person will pastor us. And rather than create a false reality around this candidate, or maybe it's not even the candidate, maybe it's a false reality around the position of senior pastor. No matter what it is, it would behoove us to remember the promise that God gives us, to be patient, to co-create with God, to build this community and this people that are reflective of our highest selves. And to do that, we must reflect the face of God that is already right here. If we do that, we will not only be blessed, but I guarantee we will be a blessing to so many others. And so people of faith, people of goodwill, what kind of people will you create around you? More than that, what kind of person will you create within you? Will you be patient? Will you be kind? Will you try and attribute the best intentions, not the worst intentions, not just to yourself, but also all those around you? And even if you find yourself creating these false realities, even if you find yourself questioning all these different individuals, even if you find yourself making mistake after mistake after mistake, you have no fear. No matter how many times you mess up, look to the story of Abram. Look to Abraham. If God can use Abraham, and you saw that junk he did, God can use anybody. As Abram shows us, even when you give up on God, our very God never gives up on you. And so this morning, this week, I hope you prepare your hearts for the season of blessing. God, we are ready to co-create with you. God, we are ready to be a new people. God, we are ready to be your people, your good people. Amen.